It's good to be with all of you this morning. My name's Lydia. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I can't believe it's the last Sunday in August. That fall is just around the corner, uh, and this morning we are going to finish out our summer series. Uh, We've been going through the book of Proverbs, uh, which we titled, You'll Be Glad You Did. Actually, Ann and Jared titled it, You'll Be Glad You Did, and I'm not so sure some of you are glad that you did. Uh, (laughs) There's been some really challenging messages, I think, and uh, kind of a churchy word that came to my mind was convicting uh, messages over the last month, and even before that when we started in June. And I hope that this summer series has been growth-inspiring for you. And to wrap this series up, we're going to talk today about a theme that's woven throughout the book of Proverbs, and it's this, it's planning. And my guess is that in this room, there are people that you're sitting next to who have completely, you have completely opposite feelings towards this topic, You might be sitting towards someone that's the creative, spontaneous, artistic type, and they're dying inside right now. (laughs) Planning is like a swear word. (laughs) While the type A control burden individuals, the Lydia's of the world, I can call myself a control burdened individual, are foaming at the mouth for more of this information. <laughs> so you, you might be somewhere on that spectrum, and wherever you are, where, whether you're in the, I just live my life moment by moment, or the, every second of my life is calculated, wherever you are on that spectrum, the Bible really does care, and it has something to say to each of us. And the good news is, is that it treats us all as equal offenders, and it claims that we all have some improving to do on this topic. So the big idea this morning is this, wise people make plans to fulfill God's desires. They know where they're headed, and they have people to counsel them along the way. So there's this myth that I want to debunk this morning. It's one that's been going on for quite some time in in church, and it's been going on long before I was born, long before you were born, and I'm going to call it what it is. It's bad theology. (laughs) Many of you have probably heard it. It's the belief that the Bible forbids or discourages planning because God is in control. It's the idea that we are to live solely in the present because we don't know if we'll have tomorrow or what it will bring. It's this notion that living by true faith is trusting God to provide it all and to walk blindly into our future. And if you haven't heard of any version of this, praise God, ignore this sidebar. But for those of you who have, there are probably even people in this room this morning who are still living versions of this narrative. So I want to say to you this, that I hope the scripture that we study this morning will shed some light on an area that I believe the church has twisted. I believe that God wants to collaborate with us in our planning. And yes, of course, sometimes God's just going to come in and straight up direct you and you need to shut up and go. But I really believe that for the most part, we are not puppets on a string. But God wants to partner with us in the spreading of the gospel and in making his kingdom plans come to pass in our lives and the lives of those around us. So with that being said, let's dive into some Bible this morning. So pretty early on in the book of Proverbs, the man named Solomon who wrote it 
he comes on strong about planning. This is what we find in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. He says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways. I don't know why he decided an ant is female, but that's okay. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her food in summer and gathers her sustenance in harvest. I could just summarize this pretty quickly. I read, you lazy people, even ants have plans, right? Like that's what I got out of that. And then Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5, fast forward a little bit. says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Proverbs 14, 15, the prudent carefully consider their steps. So it's pretty straightforward, I think, just from those three verses. We're going to keep unpacking more, but we're going to start there. And I want to add to these brief statements in Proverbs a story from earlier in the Old Testament found out of 1 Kings chapter 5. Here we find Solomon, the same man that writes the book of Proverbs, wanting to build a temple or a church to worship God in. And now let's read together, starting in verse 4. Hiram, king of Tyre, sent ambassadors to Solomon when he heard that he had been crowned king in David's place. Hiram had loved David his whole life. Solomon responded, saying, You know that David, my father, was not able to build a temple in honor of God because of the wars he had to fight on all sides until God finally put them down. But now God has provided peace all around. No one against us, nothing at odds with us. Now here's what I want to do. Build a temple in honor of God, my God, following the promise that God gave to David, my father. Namely, he quotes, your son, whom I provide to succeed you as king, he will build a house in my honor. And here is how you can help. Give orders for cedars to be cut from the Lebanon forest. My loggers will work alongside yours, and I'll pay your men whatever wage you set. We both know that there was no one like you Sidonians for cutting timber. When Hiram got Solomon's message, he was delighted, exclaiming, Blessed be God for giving David such a wise son to rule this flourishing people. Then he sent this message to Solomon. I received your request for the cedars and the cypresses. It's as good as done. Your wish is my command. My lumberjacks, which I didn't mention. This is the message version, so it kind of made me laugh. I was like, lumberjacks probably wasn't the term they were using, but we'll go with it. My lumberjacks... <laughs> will haul the timbers from the Lebanon forest to the sea. Assemble them into log rafts. Float them to the place you set. All of them have dissembled for you to haul away. All I want from you is that you feed my crew. In this way, Hiram supplied all the cedar and cypress timber that Solomon wanted. In his turn, Solomon gave Hiram 125,000 bushels of wheat and 115,000 gallons of virgin olive oil. He did this every year. And God, for his part, gave Solomon wisdom, just as he had promised. The healthy peace between Hiram and Solomon was formalized by a treaty. Now, that might just seem like so random to you. Like, this isn't the most riveting story, right? Planning, you guys, just a hint, is not always riveting. <laughs> Notice that Solomon had a very clear objective in mind, but he knew that the temple wouldn't build itself. 
He didn't over-spiritualize the dream by saying, if the Lord wants this temple built, it will happen in his way and in his time. And then sat on his bum. If you looked at Solomon and cross-referenced this passage with the book of 2 Chronicles, you would discover that this wise king worked from a very well-developed plan. First thing you see, he gathered the necessary resources. He, the cedars were cut from Lebanon. The second thing we see, which is in 2 Chronicles, he organized the people. The third thing, he designed the facility. The fourth thing, he set a time to begin the project. And then the fifth and last thing, he completed the project. It says in 2 Chronicles 5.1, thus all the work that Solomon performed for the house of the Lord was finished. And this whole story just reminds me of this quote that many of you have probably heard, and it's this, a goal without a plan is just a wish. A goal without a plan is just a wish. So the first point that I want to bring up this morning is that plans are important and they are wise. And that is very clear from scripture. Plans are important and they are wise. A very real example of this is retirement. Everyone's looking at their spouse. (laughs) One in three Americans have nothing saved for retirement. 50% of baby boomers, which is ages 53 to 72, have less than $100,000 saved for retirement. And to put that in perspective, for those of you who are just kind of figuring out what retirement even means... (laughs) That you should have a minimum of a million to two million dollars by the time you're in the baby boomer, you're in that age range. So planning, I've I've learned pretty, pretty recently, frees us up to serve more, and to play harder. And I think both of those things are fantastic. <laughs> when we don't plan ahead for our future, we're trapped, we're left self-focused, and we're left in crisis. And that is not God's best for us. Recently, I heard a story of a Finnish atheist who stated in his will that he wanted to leave his entire farm to the devil. So when he died, the legal system was dumbfounded over how to honor this request. Like, what does it mean? How do we leave the farm to the devil? And finally, after a few weeks of deliberation, the court decided that the best way to carry out the farmer's wishes was to permit the weeds and the briars to take over the farmland, to allow the house and the barn to remain unpainted and eventually to rot, and then to let the soil erode and wash away. The court declared in its ruling, this is the quote, the best way to let the devil have possession of anything is to do nothing. You see, the best way to allow Satan to destroy your dreams and your plans or God's dreams and his plans is to do nothing. Continue to live with no action plan and you will never arrive at your desired destination in life. Why? Because there's a law that works in the natural world that's also operative in our personal lives and it's called the second law of thermodynamics. Don't shut down yet. The second law of thermodynamics is actually really simple. It states that the physical world is decaying and that the direction of all of creation is downward, not upward. 
everything eventually runs down. Everything around us is decaying. What's true in the creation, what's true out there, is also true, friends, of what's going on in here. If you don't believe that, just ask yourself a couple of these questions. Does your body tend to get healthier as you age? Does your vision improve the longer you live? Can you hear better when you are 60 than when you are 20 without technology and hearing aids? If unchecked, that same decay that pulls our physical body downward will destroy other parts of our life. Because of the sin nature we inherited from Adam, we don't naturally drift toward God or move towards his plan for our lives. We just don't. Instead, if we don't exert a very proactive counter-effort, a plan, the natural course of events will lead to the depletion of so many things like financial resources, families, the deterioration of our bodies, And yes, as morbid as this sounds, the destruction of our souls. And that is why it is essential to develop a plan to reverse the natural direction of our lives and to transport us to the goals. So a plan, the way I'm defining it, it'll be up on the screen, is simply this. It's a roadmap for getting you to your desired destination. A roadmap for getting you to your desired destination. Now, many of you may or may not know that we are expecting our first child in February. And there's a little picture of our, yeah. Yeah, that's our little Skittle. That's what I've decided. Like, just last night, honey, I'm calling the Skittle for now. We don't know if it's a boy or a girl yet. So, um, and as you can imagine, there is a, this is a very significant planning season for us. We have a lot of things to decide. We have a lot of plans to make. And we we know that we're going to have to set aside more time, more energy, and more financial resources. We're going to have to figure out childcare. We have to plan for their education. We have to plan for the nursery. We have to decide on a birthing plan. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And it will never stop as long as we're around. (laughs) And we believe that God has a great plan for us and for our child. Jeremiah 29, 11, as Brad referenced earlier. But we recognize that we have to do our part. So, like right now, I have to have prenatal vitamins, right, every day. And I have to make sure that I'm eating right and I'm getting exercise. And I'm told that this is the easy part. <laughs> okay? So, there's way, there are way more plans and decisions that are going to have to be made after this bean is no longer inside of me, right? But you know what's so comforting? I've discovered that in life, the farther ahead you and I plan doesn't intimidate God or lessen his presence in it. He's the God of time and of circumstances. And if by the time we get to the plan, by the time baby is here, and things look different than we expected, we can change, we can alter, we can adapt. Most people I know are not in trouble right now because they made a plan too far in advance. They're in trouble because they didn't make a plan at all. 
Many of you may or may not know that the sermon series that we're in right now was picked out a year ago. So every year, Jared and Anne go away, and they spend five days just writing out different ideas for sermon series. And then that goes on the calendar, and it's planned a year in advance. And the reason for that is to love better. See, nine out of ten times it works beautifully. But there's that, you know, one time or a couple of times during the year when we go, uh, that doesn't really fit there. You know, this, this just happened in our world and that seems insensitive or that, or that we need to add a week to that or shorten that or we're going to bring in a guest speaker for that, right? We have a template that we're working with. And just because they made that plan a year ago doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit wasn't guiding them then and isn't guiding them now. But we adjust. Planning that far in advance has resulted in loving the staff and the volunteers better because it gives them more notice. It gives them better space for the e-kids to adjust curriculum. It gives the worship team more time to pick out the right songs. It gives um, the creative team a better idea for backdrops and what to do uh, for, you know, visual aids. It just helps people do their job better. <laughs> right? And the result of that, hopefully, is a more smooth and enjoyable experience for all of you, right? So when we, we say around here this, this motto, love God and love others, guess what? The better we plan, the better we love. Planning well is loving well. Some of you need to hear that again. <laughs> Planning well is loving well. And many of you can attest to this in your own life. Poor planning leads to hurt people and a weak product. Right? Poor planning leads to hurt people and a weak product. It's often our lack of thoughtful planning and foresight that results in relational strife, spiritual distance, our physical health declining, isolation, financial mismanagement, the list can go on and on. But loving God, others, and even ourselves well begins with making a plan. Benjamin Franklin, you've probably heard this, said, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. Second point this morning that we get out of the book of Proverbs is this. Discuss your plans with others. Proverbs 14, 8 the wisdom of the wise keeps life on track. The foolishness of fools lands them in the ditch. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 20, 18, plans succeed with good counsel. Don't go to war without wise advice. It's really interesting because, in my experience, most people skip over this step because it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of vulnerability. Abraham Lincoln, I'm on a little presidential roll here, said, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I'll spend the first four sharpening the ax. Here's the deal. The actual execution of the plan is usually the quick part. It's the preparing of the plan that is the lengthier ordeal. And the preparing of the plan, God calls us and demands and asks us, includes 
sharing that with people around us that we trust and asking them to speak into our plans. Proverbs 24, 27 says, prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. And that's just what Solomon did, right, in the, in the temple. Getting counsel and talking with others is part of the sharpening and preparing process. The preparation is often longer than the act itself. And one of the things that has been really fascinating, honestly, probably for the past six months to eight, six to eight months, our staff, um, you know, we have a staff meeting almost every Tuesday, and we get together and we talk about different things. And one of the, the things that we've been discussing is this recent it feels like a more recent phenomenon of people switching to reporting rather than discussing. And here's what we mean by that. Discussing is, to, is defined as this. It's inviting feedback, thoughts, opinions, advice. The decision has not yet been made. You're in process. Reporting is basically the decision's already been made and I'm letting you know. There's no room for change. There's no room for feedback this is, the, this is it. And so we began, we began to talk about that and, and how interesting that is in our culture that we have switched to, even with the people that are closest to us in our circle, we just kind of tell them this is what we're going to do or this is the plan that we've made. Instead of inviting them with their wisdom and their expertise and maybe their life experience to speak in and say, what do you think about that? Or does that sound like God to you? Or... Does that match my skill set and my gifting? Or what do you see? Is there a blind spot here that I'm not seeing of how, you know, how could this affect me? What are the, what are the negative and the positives that could come of this? Because I know I can't see everything. When you go to someone who's in your circle of counsel or wisdom, are you discussing or are you reporting? It doesn't count to report. That's, that doesn't check the box of going to get wise counsel. There's this wonderful picture that I saw of like, I don't know, six weeks ago on social media. Not every place you fit is where you belong. Little tangerine in a garlic clove. This is the beauty of being a pastor and being on social media. Like you get so much good sermon material. <laughs> it's work. <laughs> Not everything, friends, you can fit into your calendar on your schedule is where you belong. Not every commitment that comes your way is one that you should take on. Not every relationship that walks through your door is one that you're supposed to say yes to. We often just place things in our lives or into our future without asking God or other people if we should. We do this both with our long-term and our short-term plans. An example from my own, from my own life, uh, a long-term plan uh, that we were really intentional about was having children. So my husband and I have been married seven years. And when we got married, we were like, you know, kids, they're cute, but we could take them, we could leave them, I don't know. And then we were like, so let's come back to this conversation in five years. Okay, fantastic. So we came back to it in five years, and we were like, mm, no, not ready. <laughs> so we came back to it, obviously, two years later, and now we're married seven years, and we're like, 
Still not 100% sure, but we're going to let Jesus answer this one, <laughs> right? And so we, but in that process, in those seven years, we had, I don't know how many conversations with trusted friends that we, that have so much wisdom and advice, people who have had kids, people who haven't had kids, the pros and cons, blah, 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 and asking them these questions. Would we be good parents? What are we missing? Does this seem like God? help, <laughs> right? I mean, we just asked a lot of different questions in those seven years, and because we really believe that not every place you fit is where you belong. Not everyone who can have kids should have kids, right? I mean, anyone? Amen. Do we see that in our culture and our society? Thank you. Not everyone should procreate. <laughs> and I, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I know I'm, I'm a, I'll probably be a good mom, but like, you know, anyways, so that's a whole side note. But the point being, we asked, we asked, we prayed, we sought, we asked for wisdom and for counsel, and we didn't just take advantage of the fact that, yeah, we're a nice, loving couple, and we have a stable home, so let's have a kid, right? And God, I think, wants us to do that with all of our decisions. Bring them before him, bring them before others, and test them and see. That's a, a long-term example. A short-term example just recently, we have um, some friends that we meet with every two weeks, and we have prayer together. And we got together, and we were all kind of stressing about our fall. Like, what are we going to say yes to this fall? What are we going to say no to? And so we got together, and we prayed about that. We spent quite a bit of time just, like, praying and then asking each other, I have, I have this, 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 and this option. I've got a lot of options coming my way, and I don't know the right one or two. And I know that I need to pick my best yes. And so we asked each other, you know, well, if you do this, have you thought about that? Have you thought about how this affects, you know, this time management or your family here or these late nights? Or have you thought about the fact that you actually don't really like people at all, so maybe you shouldn't be, <laughs> you know, but whatever it might be, right? And so we just, we got on our faces before the Lord and we got vulnerable with one another and said, help, like, I want to make my commitments be strong, and I want to make them be in the will of God. And so we did that this fall. We also did that with the new year. And we just New Year's Eve got together and prayed about our year and what, what do we need to say yes to and what do we need to say no to. And I tell you what, it can be a little bit painful, but most of the time it's really, really rewarding to be able to ask people to speak into your life and tell you the spots that you're not seeing. So a question for you this morning is, in my life, what fits but doesn't belong? In my relationships, in my schedule, in my habits, in my work life, in my home life, what fits? Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's there, but it really doesn't belong there. And then the next question is this, who is your counsel of wisdom? Who is your counsel of wisdom? The third thing that we get out of the book of Proverbs with planning is this, God has the ultimate say. And this is probably no surprise to any of you. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Proverbs 16.9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose 
that prevails. I want to read with you another passage that's not in the book of Proverbs, but it's in the New Testament. Uh, Romans chapter 15, verses 20 through 28. And this is a story about Paul. We're going to pick up in verse 20. It says, It has always been my ambition, Paul says, to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. That is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. So he's sharing, this is my ultimate, like my big why of where I, what I say yes to and what I say no to, the places I go to and the places I don't go to. Verse 23, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia, I should have looked that up. Anyone? Achaia? Achaia? Okay. We'll go with that. We're pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owed it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. Verse 28. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Paul was the greatest church planter who ever lived. He accomplished more in his life for the spread of the gospel than I think probably any other person. So I think we would do very well to take seriously his method of planning. And part of his method was, like I said, he had this general guideline. I'm going to preach where no one had preached before. But then he developed a very specific plan from that. He said, I'm going to take this gift to Jerusalem and then I'd go to Rome to establish a Western base. And from there, I'm going to go to Spain. And what makes this story especially significant is that from what we know, that plan fell through. It never happened. He was arrested in Jerusalem. He went to Rome as a prisoner and probably never got to Spain. And it's just like we saw in the book of Proverbs, that God is the one who ultimately makes the future happen. But we plan, nevertheless, that God uses our planning even if he aborts the mission that we thought we had. And what's so cool about this is that if Paul had not planned to use Rome as a base of operations for his trip to Spain, he probably never would have written one of the greatest letters in the book of the new, in the New Testament, which is the book of Romans. Planning is so crucial in Christian living and Christian ministry, even when God overrules our planning. And isn't it so great that we can have confidence that God always has a better plan than ours? The visual that comes to my mind when I think about planning is, is this. We have a choice. We can either make plans and white-knuckle grip them. Or we can make plans with open hands. Let me give you a hint. It is far less painful to plan with open hands than to have God pry open your death grip. 
I'm going to close with just a, a story from our own life. Um, my husband uh, works in the marketplace, and he's been working for this company for, uh, it's a big shipping company for about six and a half years now. And when he started out, we had really lofty goals for him. Uh, he's wonderful, intelligent. Uh, I could say all kinds of adjectives about him, all positive, of course. Um, and we were like, okay, you're going to go into management, and then you're going to climb the corporate ladder. That was kind of our, our idea was, I think that this is what God's calling you to do. You have a vision. You have a drive. Let's do it. And so he started out with this company, and within a year and a half, he became a manager. He was one of the youngest managers that they've ever had in the company. It was an incredible opportunity. And so we followed that opportunity to a little town just north of Seattle. And when we got there, it was hard work, obviously. It was, it was a really difficult transition uh, for him to go from um, being a layperson to being the boss. And he did that well, and then uh, we were able to move to Portland, to this area. We had this, this burden on our heart that God was going to call us to the Portland metro area to do, to do ministry. And the opportunity opened up at this one particular station for him to become a manager. But he was warned, like, this place is H-E double hockey sticks. Like, you are gonna, you're not going to be happy here. But we really were like, no, this, okay, that's fine. And he's, my husband was wonderful and said, basically, I'll be the sacrificial lamb so that you can go do ministry. And I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> we're still together, happily married, so that's good. And so we, we came down here and we did that. And he was a manager uh, for quite some time and he was miserable. I mean, just like no life in him, just exhausted and finally, we had to have a conversation, and we had the conversation with a lot of our, with several of our friends over months and months and months about, does he quit? Like, this doesn't seem, I don't, he doesn't, we don't want to be part of this organization anymore. We don't want to climb the corporate ladder. This isn't, this isn't what we thought. Um, and so ev eventually, yes, he did, he did quit, and he, he's still with the organization, but he's, he's a lay person again, and he's wildly happy, and we're in a way better place, and financially God has provided, and all these wonderful things, but the reality is we had a, we had a plan, and we believe that God partnered with us in that plan, or we wouldn't have ended up in Laconer, and we wouldn't have ended up here, but he aborted, we aborted the mission, right, because God was no longer in it. God was no longer saying, keep moving forward in this plan, and so this morning, I want to give us some time. We're just going to end with about four minutes of reflection. We're going to have some background music playing. And we don't, you know, we usually give us like 30 seconds. But I really felt like God was asking us to put aside some sacred time this morning to do some reflecting on our schedules, on our plans, on our commitments, and this series that we've been going through, we're going to have a list up on the, on the screen of the different topics we've covered throughout the Proverbs series. Self-control, embracing correction, eat, sleep, move, alcohol, parenting, and fearing God. We've covered some big stuff. And all of them, I think, were challenging at the time, but they're also very easy to forget and move on and to not make a choice to be better and to move forward. And so I'm not going to ask you the impossible, which is pick one step from every one of those messages. I'm only going to ask you to pick one. 
look at one of those topics. And if you missed any of them, definitely encourage you to go back and listen on the podcast. But pick one of those topics and pick one next step that you could do from any of those things. Maybe you need to widen your counsel of wisdom. I am giving you permission to pull out your phone, to walk out into the lobby and make a phone call or pull out your phone and text some people. Widen your counsel of wisdom this morning. Figure out if you need to pull out your calendar in these next four minutes and figure out what you need to say yes to and what you need to say no to, do it. If you need to just get on your knees and pray for direction, do it. One of the questions that our, our friends, we asked together was this, what commitments this fall will allow more space for me to come in contact with the Holy Spirit? And I think that is a great directional question for us. So in these next four minutes, uh, we'll just have some music playing, and I just want you to spend some time with Jesus and figure out what's the plan, what's the long-term plan, what's the short-term plan. Let's do that together.